Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm John Stive, sports editor with the Northwest Herald, and we're here for an Illinois high school football podcast. I'm here with sports writer Joe Stevenson, Steve Susi, the guru of all things Illinois football, projections, playoffs, polls, everything like that, and Kyle Neighbors, the guru of uh, Kankakee area football. How you doing, guys? Doing well. Not too bad. All right, what we're gonna we're gonna start here with a rundown of what of what happened this weekend and what it means going forward. Our goal here is to talk about the teams that are relevant in both the Chicago area and south of there uh, for the playoffs for Illinois high school football. We'll start with eight A, the big boys. Steve, give us kind of a rundown of of what happened this weekend and kind of relevant things that occurred. Well, when you talk about 8A, I mean, it, for me, it's, it's all about what the big four did. Um, Loyola went out of state, went up to Wisconsin, won easily against Marquette University High School. Um, and then you go over to Indiana where Lincoln Way East went. Um, that's something that will be worthy of monitoring the entire time. Lincoln Way East did, uh, didn't have much trouble over in South Bend. And, and then your other two, Glenbard West, picked up a, a notable win over Bolingbrook. And then Homewood Flossmore didn't have much trouble with Downer South. So the big, the top four right there, I think, are cut above the rest of the class in 8A. And when you look at the rest of the teams in that field, I mean, obviously there were some notable wins. But, but I think all year long you're going to keep coming back to those four teams. And, uh, and none of those four had much, much trouble this week. How about Brother Rice Marist? What do you know about that? Well, I mean – when we came into that one, we were looking at a game where we thought we were going to have a fairly competitive game at Soldier Field on Sunday, and and Brother Rice just really, really took that to task. I mean, they've got they've got some very talented players on both sides, both teams that have very good players, but uh, Brother Rice really separated themselves and kind of took that Marist high-paced offense and just really shut it down. So I found that to be pretty interesting. What what do these things mean, and are there any week two games we should be looking at in 8A? Well, I mean, right now there are not a lot of – I mean, once these teams settle into their conference schedules, we've still got one more week of, of non-con games that, that, to kind of sift through. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a little hard to tell, but uh, I think basically when it comes down to it, those teams at the top, like I just mentioned, kind of delivered – uh, what I expected them to. I mean, there were some others underneath. I mean, when I looked at what Edwardsville was able to do, uh, Glenbart North got off to an easy win against Naperville Central. And another thing that stood out to me, and you can speak better to, Huntley had absolutely no trouble with Jacobs. And I, and I, was, I wasn't surprised with the outcome, but I was surprised with the margin. How did you guys feel about that? Uh, Steve, we were a little surprised at that margin as well. We thought that that might be a pretty good game. I, I think Huntley, Huntley lost a lot for graduation, but I still think that this Huntley team is going to be 
just as good and maybe better than last year. Their, the, their offense looks really good, but you know their defense to come out and pitch a shutout against Jacobs, which has Chris Katrinik, who's going to Bowling Green at quarterback, that was pretty impressive, and that caught us off guard for sure. All right, and I have actually an interview now with Olary Oladipo. Last Thursday, committed to Illinois. We'll go to that now. I'm here with Olary Oladipo. Um, last week, you committed to Illinois. What was it that you liked so much about the University of Illinois? Definitely, I've been out there a while. Um, been there multiple visits. My stepsister goes out there, uh, attends the school out there. Um, she lets me know the what, how how much she loves Illinois. I um, been out there quite a while, of course. Uh, talk to the coaches. They let me know how they want to use me in the defense, and it really interested me. And I see a lot of my high school in that Illinois program. You know, a new coach comes in, turns turns the program around, and I want to be a part of that. And also some the commit early commits that they had were talking to me and saying that we could really change the big time, and I wanted to be a part of that, and I really trust those guys. All right, and during your process, you got offered from the previous coaching staff originally, I believe, and, yes. then, and then Lovey was hired, came in. What did that mean to you in the recruiting process, both Lovey and the, the new coaching staff? Definitely, Illinois being my first offer from the previous staff, I instantly hit a strong connection with them, and when they got released, it was kind of tough on me because I was like, wow, I was building this relationship and all those guys are gone. Well, the guy that recruited my my um, area, Al Simonson, went to Maryland, which is, where, which is where that Maryland offer came from. And he was talking to me for a while, trying to get me out there, but ultimately didn't happen, committed to Illinois. Uh, Coach Lovey Smith coming in, he talked to me uh, maybe like three hours after he got hired, and we just built a relationship from from then, and me and Coach McGargo built a relationship. He talked to me every day, talked to my mom, saying, Coach Lovey, we FaceTime, and he really got my mom to buy into the program, got me to buy into the program, and I'm happy where I am now. And then, and then you make your decision and, and announce it the day before the opening game. Why did you decide on that timeline for it? Uh, I really wanted to be committed before the season just to focus on my senior year, and ultimately me committing the day before made me, gave me gave me the mindset that I had to live up to the hype, which Ultimately, that happened in the Jacobs game when 35-0 started up. All right, and that start for you guys, I mean, is that, I, I guess, I'm going to ask you if, if you expected that. I guess you can't, can't expect that. But but how does that make you feel to, to have that big of a victory in the first game? It made me feel great because, you know, we had a lot of doubters about our defense, and we were definitely performed. You know, guys like Nick Dennis uh, hitting the quarterback, Charlie Zorno getting the first sack of the game, really important. Me and Caleb on the outside, putting pressure on the quarterback, really nice. Our uh, DBs, uh, Hunter Kowalski, um, Joe Bowling, Ben Stevens, Tyler Collins, all doing their job. It was really nice. Big, big message out to the state about our defense that even though we lost some guys last year, that we're still that tough only defense that made it to the second round. All right, and we're back. Also, Edwardsville was just mentioned. Joe, you were at state track last year. AJ Epeniza, I'm Am I pronouncing that right? And, uh, you know, he's an amazing athlete going to Iowa. Tell us about what you saw from him there. It, it was pretty crazy to see uh, to see him last year in the discus. He he broke the state record with 205, 11 inches. And interestingly enough, he's going to Iowa. I believe he's, is he, he's going to do both, right? He's going to throw in play football I believe he's I believe, I believe so. he's going to throw as well uh, and it was incredible to watch and uh, but interestingly enough Dan Block 
who also threw at Iowa and now is back, is from Lake Park, was back coaching, was actually there. He was at a different ring at that moment, but it was kind of neat that uh, he found out about it and walked over and, and they, they were able to say hey and, and uh, meet each other and stuff. But yeah, he's an impressive looking guy. He, he's, he's a big guy, but he's not... Uh, not as bulky as some of the guys, and, and you can when you see him and you see his body type, you can imagine what he might do on a football field. Uh, from what I hear, he just like turns and dunks on people in basketball too. He's pretty, pretty crazy good athlete. Yeah, he's obviously a guy that stands out in eight A. And let, let's move on to seven A. Then we talked about Jacob, Steve. What what else can you tell us of the ranked teams in seven A and who's relevant there and what happened? Well, with 7A, it, it, it's going to be kind of a confusing look all year long. I, I'm sure you guys have noticed that a lot of teams that are riding the 7A and 6A bubble, I right now have, are skewing those teams towards 6A. So I think 7A is kind of kind of wide open, and there are a lot of interesting stories yet to be developed there because, I mean, the, the landscape of the class seems to be changing a little bit. I mean, one of your stalwarts, Lincoln Way East, obviously they jumped up to 8A with the with the closing of Lincoln Way North and the addition of the additional students. So that's one team that you're used to seeing at the top of the 7A rankings every year. Well, they're not there anymore. They're in 8A. And then and you've got a couple of teams right at the top that you have to mention first and foremost. Obviously, the Mount Carmel Caravan are, are rolling once again. You can't take a lot from Sunday's victory over Taft. I mean, obviously, that's a scheduling mismatch right there. Um, but the, the game that stood out to me in the construct of 7A was Saturday night when East St. Louis just dismantled Providence Catholic. I mean, that's that. I don't know where Providence Catholic is right now, and I've been told they'll be a little bit better than they were last year. And even if that's the case, I mean – I would expect them to be more competitive with East St. Louis just on the surface, and that was not what happened. I mean, Jeff Thomas is obviously a very talented player, and the, and the Flyers have a lot of other players around the field to complement him, and it's really showing. And that a lot of people look at that decision by East St. Louis to play up in Class 7A as a little bit curious, but it certainly looks like they have the medal to play with just about anybody in that class should the time come. So, Steve, is Glenbard West their 8A now? Well, right now, but they, I mean, Glenbard West is one of those teams that you have to watch that bubble line really carefully between 7 and 8A because right now, like the way that I do the projections, I won't go through the whole complicated thing, but the preseason projections basically had Glenbard West sitting two off the line, so they're the second smallest school in 8A. And obviously those things can change due to a various number of factors, but – Glenbard West for the most part. Right now we're considering them an 8A, but they could be floating right back into 7A. Um, it'll be something to watch all season long. Now, Steve, technically here, uh, Kyle told me that you have a shoebox that's filled with information on every team in the state. Is this true? Yeah, I guess it's true. I mean, I don't know how much how much information is in there. It's basically just the schedule log. It's really not that complicated, but uh, – it's uh, it's basically where I make sure that I am not screwing up games and I know who people are playing because while I have a lot of it committed to memory, there's over 500 schools in Illinois. I don't remember them all. And is and is that about projecting what they're going to do over their final few games, or or why why is that schedule so relevant on each one of those? Well, every, every the one thing that I that I find fascinating about the playoff system and in the way that it's set up is. Every game affects everybody else. I mean, you can think about it 
in a lot of different constructs. But, I mean, there, there was an outcome in 1A that, believe it or not, is going to affect the 8A field in some small, minor thing. So you have to know a little bit about just about everybody to be able to project somewhat accurately what's going to happen. So, I mean, it's just so layered. And, I mean, with the playoff point system where, you know, opponents get points for wins, I mean, I was noticing results this week that, like, you're thinking about them and you think they don't really matter because they're between two teams that that are probably not going to make the playoffs. But they absolutely do matter to the other teams in those conferences because they need those playoff points. There was a couple of weird results in the Metro Suburban Conference, for example, this week. And when it comes playoff time, if you're a five and four team in the Metro Suburban, you would have really liked your your fellow conference mates to get you those extra playoff points to get you in the playoff field. It might turn out that those week one results are what kept them out. All right, and when as as someone who observes all these results, this past week we had two teams pick up forfeit wins. Have we? Did we see more of that? Harvard Harvard against Calvin Park and Alden Hebron against Rockford Christian Life. Neither of those teams had enough players to play a game so both pick it up forfeits well it's act, it's actually three um Steinmetz had to do the same thing with morgan park so i mean it's kind of rare that it happens this early in the season where before we even get started we have some teams that obviously have some numbers issues usually what will end up happening is will be a team will start and for whatever reason they'll drop a few players and then all of a sudden the program goes away and you've got forfeits but there are there's a number of forfeits around the state. It's a disturbing trend to begin with. And then on top of it, it kind of causes a bit of a problem here because I'm sure everybody wants to play their regular season nine um, as best they can. So, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but it's definitely a, a, a disturbing trend, if you will. And now what I'll just segue over to 6A. Joe, you were at Cary Grove, Prairie Ridge. Those are two teams. I think they were tied for third in the first pull. What did you see out of that game, and what do you know heading forward out of those teams? Well, in our area, we know them pretty well, and we think that these two teams are, will be, as semifinalists last year, will be very good and, and be maybe at that level again this year. It was a really good game. Prairie Ridge wins 26-14. to 14. Um, you know, I, I was impressed with Prairie Ridge's defense to really slow down Cary Grove. Cary Grove actually had more yards, but it was mainly two huge plays, an 80-yard run and a 66-yard run. Other than that, they really slowed down Cary's um, outstanding fullback, Tyler Pennington, held him to 48 yards. And that, that's, a, that's a great job there. And I, I was really impressed with Prairie Ridge. Also, um, I, you know, i got to give Cary credit there because Cary's defense did a great job against Samson Evans from uh, Prairie Ridge's option quarterback who just ran crazy on people last year. Um, he was held to uh, 62 yards rushing, but he uh, you know, showed, a, showed a new wrinkle in his game and threw three touchdown passes, two of them to tight end Austin Furbet, who just uh, uh, committed to Army recently. And so, you know, it was it was interesting to see Prairie Ridge come out and throw the ball a little bit. They've been such a ground-oriented team. Um, I think those two teams, uh, you know, I was not disappointed at all. I thought it was a great game, and I think those two teams will be very tough. And, uh, Steve, I don't know, you know, right now, Kerry's ranked in 6A. The IHSA projections have them as a 7A team. 
Um, what are you thinking with, are they similar to Glenn Bard West being right on the, that line between the two classes? It's a very, it's a very similar story. And I mean, the one thing that if you're looking at the, the differences between those two numbers, um, the one thing to take note, and it's not, it's not a rocket science by any way, shape or form. The, the state polls use my projections for what classes they're going into. The IHSA essentially takes the number of football playing schools divided by eight and brackets them that way. Right. I'm not criticizing the way that they do it. It's just not, it's not as precise as what I'm trying to do. That doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes, but it's not, it's not, the, it's not the same thing because they've, they've got some schools in there that aren't even eligible to participate in the playoffs. And it's not, it's a really base thing that they're doing. So the reason that Kerry Grove is kind of in the debate area is, if you look at the enrollment list from top to bottom, there's an alarming amount of schools that have basically 50 students difference from top to bottom of a list. And Kerry Grove's right in the middle of that. So it all depends on what happens with the teams that are directly around them. If we have teams that step up and are playing a little bit better this year that have a slightly higher enrollment than Kerry Grove, then they're probably solidified in six. If that doesn't happen, then they slide back towards seven. They're very close. They're a very similar story to Glenbard West. I would say it's more likely that Kerry Grove stays in six than it is than Glenbard West would drop to eight, and that's just simply a numbers thing. Yeah, I think, well, that said, I think that we might have a good chance up here of seeing these two uh, in a rematch maybe in the quarterfinals or, or something like that because I think these two teams are, are that good. Yeah, it would not surprise me. I mean, there are – when I look at that classification, I, I see it as being a lot deeper if Kerry Grove stays there. But, uh, I mean, there are some interesting teams that I'm, I'm thinking about, but I think they definitely – both of those teams belong in the elite of 6A, especially when you look at maybe the possibility that Montini isn't the stronghold that they've been in the past because they kind of got it taken to them by Maine South in the opening week. So that's – that's another interesting thing to monitor where exactly where exactly they are at at this point in the season. And Sacred Heart Griffin's the other team that is there out of success factor. Who who else do we watch for in six A? Well, I think Creek Moni has a, a, an awful lot of elite talent, uh, including Laquan Treadwell's little brother. Um, they're they're a very good football team. Uh, they also play a very challenging schedule, so they're the kind of team that might pick up a loss or two along the way um, and maybe leads you to believe that they're not one of the elite teams in that class, but, but don't be confused by that. That's a team that on any given, any given day uh, can match up talent for talent against anybody in this classification. The team that, the team that I've caught notice of the last year or so, and really looks to be starting to make its mark in that class, keep an eye on the St. Lawrence Vikings. Um, They are, they're a very good team. Um, and have shown some great capabilities, and that was an impressive road win for them in week one over, over Bennett, another team that a lot of people like. So those are the two teams that I think are, are uh, radar-worthy, no doubt about it, in terms of the 6A top. All right, and he just mentioned Crete being a team that might lose lose some games and still relevant. Uh, Kyle, talk about Bradley Bourbonnet. They're, they're kind of like that, right? Yeah, Bradley, you're looking at a team – uh, that lost their starting quarterback, uh, starting quarterback, starting running back, one of their wide receivers, and their entire front seven on defense, and uh, opened up against Champaign Centennial, which was a playoff team last year, and still came away with a, a healthy, 
a healthy victory. I think it was 34-0. Um, yeah, but they they have been shifted over in in their conference to Southwest Suburban, and uh, yeah, they're gonna have uh, some tough games here. Uh, uh, they got Bolingbrook coming up here pretty soon. Um, Zeus, I'm sure you've been looking ahead at their schedule a little closer, but they you know you get in there with the Lincoln Ways, they're a team that even with the talent that they have could be looking at five you know five wins will get them in the playoff, but it, it's gonna be tough for them to get there. And what class are they? They're seven A. They're seven. Yeah, they're seven. So, so they're a team that could be dangerous if they get into one of the teams with a better record. Well, it was one of those things that they did last year. They came in as a low seed and 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 did all the damage that they did in getting to the semifinal. I'm sure they wouldn't want to repeat that, but their schedule, which has Lincoln Way West, Lincoln Way East, Bowlingbrook, like Kyle mentioned on it, uh, isn't going to make it an easy road for them to get to rack up a bunch of victories and get themselves a higher seed. And I I, I don't think this. The Bradley Bourbon A team is as talented as it was last year. But you look at what they did against Lincoln Way West and Lincoln Way North last year, both very talented teams. They were they played really well in that conference. And, yes, it's going to be tougher uh, than it was last year, but they they could be a factor. When we talk about 6A, is is that one of the classes that's statewide or, or is that regional in the brackets? It's a half. Uh, that is the, they, they do those that's in half. A, that's a half. Yeah. Seven right. and eight are the only classes that are one to thirty-two. So, so does that mean that we're looking at a strong upper half, and, and maybe not as with Sacred Heart Griffin on the bottom, or it, it, does Crete fall on the bottom in that one? How, how does that work? I would say seventy-five percent of the time, you can make the dividing line for six A a little bit north of Interstate eighty. So. I would say nine times out of ten, Crete falls in the south bracket. I mean, when I'm looking at roughly at what they're going to be, um, I, I would think that Crete is almost has to be in the south bracket this year. But uh, And I think it might even stretch even higher this year because there are more teams. Obviously, 6A is much more concentrated in the northern portion of the state. It's one of those classes that, to be honest with you, I think they should have done it 1-32 to 32 in that class as well. And then started the one to six teams and five, but I understand there are there are a few more six A teams in Southern Illinois, and that's what they were trying to stay away from. But it's still it's still very north concentrated. I'd be stunned if Crete Money was in the north bracket come playoff time. All right, and then looking at five A, who's relevant there? What happened the first weekend that's worthwhile? Well, a couple of things stood out to me. I mean, obviously Nazareth is now the, now the powerhouse in 5A. They're the team to look out for. But the most interesting storyline for me in 5A this week was that ridiculous Peoria Central Normal West game uh, that was in Central Illinois. Peoria Central has a very good football team um, regarded very well. Um, I don't know if they're at the caliber of Nazareth, but uh, Gino Hatz ran for – 500 plus yards and eight touchdowns in their 70 to 63 win over normal West. So obviously they're capable of scoring a lot of points. Maybe they're not as capable of stopping points, but they're, uh, they're a very high powered offense. Um, they're very good. And then the other wrinkle that kind of surprised me a little bit in five, a this week was that Joliet Catholic went up to Wisconsin and lost. I, I mean, I heard mixed bag reports about Joliet Catholic, but the team that they lost to, I, I don't know what kind of pedigree they have, but that I, I'll, be, I'll admit that surprised me. And they and they had twenty new starters, I believe, is the number I heard. And, and Kevin Johnson, I I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's it's got an apostrophe in there, 
but he he's supposed to be a really talented running back for them. But there there was a lot of turnover, so I guess they're kind of you know figure it out as the year goes on, and one of those teams that's going to get a lot stronger as it goes on. They may not have that luxury though in the schedule that they play. They better they better correct it quickly because there's some good teams in that East Suburban Catholic and. They may uh, they may not find their way in if they don't if they don't wreck, don't write the ship here in the near future. And the one team that we have in five A that's a that's a perennial playoff team is Marion Central Joe. They're they're another team that we didn't know a ton about heading in, and we might still not after they beat Chicago Bowen. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a good measuring stick. The first game uh, they look pretty good. Um, a lot of a lot of new faces there for Marion. Brian Nemezik takes over as their running back. Uh, they have a new quarterback and, and a lot of new faces. So we're gonna probably have to see another couple games to uh, get a better gauge. But like Steve said, you you got to come out quick in that conference because there's not any easy marks on Friday. And Marion heads up to Milwaukee this week to to play Morse Marshall. I don't know much about them. I think we looked them up, and they had six wins last year. Um, and then, you know, later, a couple weeks down the line, they have back-to-back against Joliet Catholic and Marist. I think that will kind of show where they're at in that conference, if they're an elite team or, or if they're a team that's going to try to get five and get in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're right. I see 4A for us is, is really relevant every year. Uh, Playoff-wise, when you talk about Johnsburg, Richmond, Burton, last year, Marengo, uh, what do you know in 4A and, and obviously Plano this year as well, um, being being an excellent team that ended up falling to Johnsburg in the first week? Who, who else do we watch for in 4A? Well, they're building, they're building something special in Phillips, despite the fact that they lost to Fenwick this week, which, which was – by far the most surprising result for me at week one that, that Phillips lost this game, but it is a, it is a tremendously talented football team that has seemingly gained from playing these games outside of the public league to start the season over the last couple of years. And I don't really doubt that this will be, this will be beneficial for them in the long run. I don't see a lot of threats for them uh, on their regular season schedule. Um, and they will, they will correct it and be, a terror for whatever class they end up in. And I say that because there's, I don't want to say there's a really good chance they could be in 3A, but it could happen. I mean, it's, it's definitely something to monitor. So wherever Phillips ends up, they are, they're watchworthy. And if they somehow stumbled into 3A, uh, we can just, we can probably just pack up the trophy. Um, but some other teams to, to keep an eye on from, from a statewide perspective, Belleville Altoff is a really good football team. I mean, they got handled pretty easily in the final last year, but uh, they, are, they are very talented as well. And then you can never talk about 4A from a statewide perspective without at least mentioning Rochester. So, I mean, right there is, is the top three in my mind. And then from there – I mean, you guys can speak to this a little bit better than I can, but, I mean, for years we've, we've been used to hearing about Rockford football in regards to the 4A classification. It looks like those guys have dropped a little bit and had a key guy transfer, to my understanding. Um, so, but, but in my mind, I mean, that's what I look to when I start thinking about Northern Illinois football. But I'll admit I was pretty impressed with what Johnsburg did with Plano last week, and I, I definitely have them on my radar. 
Yeah, and, and who you're talking about is Marcus Hayes, the Western Michigan commit. Just, you know, he's committed along with, I think you have a Bishop Mack player down there, Chris Bell, who's committed to Western Michigan. Uh, he, he went to Rockford East, according to Matt Trowbridge of, of the Rockford paper. Um, so they're gone. They lost a close game to Genoa Kingston. Um, up here, we thought Richmond Burton, Johnsburg were, were going to probably be the teams in the new Kishwaukee River Conference and in 4A around here. Uh, Marengo had a lot of turnover from last year, but they went out to Winnebago, a team that was 5-5 five and five last year, and they ended up winning a close game. They actually stopped a two-point conversion. Uh, Winnebago went to win it at the end on a two-point conversion. Uh, Marengo stopped them and, and got the win out there. Joe, what what do you know out of Johnsburg and, and their win over Plano? Well, all, uh, all preseason I've been singing the praises of Johnsburg. I think this team is really poised to uh, to do something special. I love Alex Pete. They're running back. He's He's fast. He's uh, he's not a real big kid, but he's he's pretty strong, and he's probably gonna. He, I think he has a good chance of ending his career with, uh, you know, close to five thousand yards rushing, depending on how many games they get to play this year. But it's a team that uh, a couple years ago went from one and eight to nine and two, lost to Phillips in the second round of the playoffs with Coach Mike Maloney, who then took the Marion Central job. Now Dan DeBuff comes in there. Um, last year, Johnsburg had a good year, but the thing of it is now this year they have uh, six guys who were starters as sophomores on that team that really turned it around a couple years ago. You can't beat that experience. Um, they have a second-year quarterback in Riley Buchanan who had a nice year last year and can throw the ball, and Pete and, and alignment, a guy on the line like Joe Moore who's playing on both sides of the line. Uh, I really like what Johnsburg has, and that was a pretty good win, I think, um, you know, to beat Plano like that. It was uh, 32 to 20. I bumped into someone from Johnsburg the other night, and he, he was impressed with Plano. He said, I thought we were going to put that team away. They wouldn't let us do it. But uh, I think a nice win for Johnsburg, and it sounds like Plano's pretty good too. All right, and that's a good segue, too. We have an interview with Kristen Sharp of the Record newspaper. She covers Plano in that area. Plano opened the season with a loss at Johnsburg. Kristen, what does this mean for Plano, and what's the rest of the schedule look like for them? I don't think it really is going to be, uh, you know, a make-or-break loss for them. I think that they were really looking forward to that early measuring stick to just see how they're looking this early in the season. But with the next few weeks and the opponents that they have, um, I expect that they'll uh, quickly flip that 0-1 record around real fast. All right, and we've ta- we've talked about Phillips, obviously – a top team in the upper half. Lutheran is is down more this year. Geneseo may be a factor in there. But Plano is a team that a lot of people are talking about. What can you tell us about the Plano team? Kind of introduce us to what's relevant about them. Um, I wish I would have seen a little bit more of their ground game against Johnsburg. It sounds like that was shut down pretty early on. Um, But they just have so many weapons out there uh, that you know, when, when one aspect is taken away, you can see what they were able to do with Johnsburg. Um, Izzy Adioti is a really great player. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do this season. Um, you know, he had, uh, you know, the kickoff return. He had a couple good catches. Um, but once he gets the ball in his hands, um, he's going to be pretty good. And with a quarterback like Tyler Ward, uh, they'll be a, a pretty good combo this year. And Tyler Ward's a, a guy I heard a lot about in the offseason going through all the camps and everything. What, what is it about him that stands out? 
uh, he's just has so much experience. He's been on the field, um, you know, at least three years for Plano. Uh, you know, not not that big, tall, commanding, um, you know, body out there, but uh, he's got a good arm, a very smart player out there. And, um, you know, just the relationship that he has with his receivers, uh, you know, Plano has such a close-knit uh, group of guys that they have, uh, you know, some good chemistry out there. All right, and then we'll transition to Oswego East. As as I know that you were the person who was covering last year the Oswego Huntley game when Huntley got knocked out. A good Oswego team obviously did that. And and to my knowledge, Oswego East is the is the big school team in your area this year that's relevant. And that's weird to say because Oswego East um, hasn't really been relevant um, in the in the history. Uh, they made the playoffs just twice. Uh, they got to the second round once. So this is definitely uncharted territory for them. So uh, I think everyone's kind of treading cautiously when they say that Oswego East looks like they should do some uh, pretty historic things out there. But they really were exciting uh, to see what kind of you know stats, numbers, and the score that they put up at Joliet West on Friday night. All right, and tell, kind of introduce us to the relevant players. I know you mentioned Ivory Kelly Martin. He's going to Iowa. Who else do they have, and what did Ivory show in that first week? Yeah, um, Ivory just, he, uh, you know, he really uh, lived up to the, the expectations of himself. Uh, you know, 222 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, you know, he really, uh, you know, stood out. Uh, Jalen Banks, you know, really smart quarterback. Um, he had a little bit of nagging injuries last year um, and, uh, and had transferred in, you know, coming into that. Uh, so they haven't really been able to see his full potential. But I think he started off really well this year. Um, you know, so that combination of those guys. And then you've got Elijah James on the defensive side as a junior. is getting a lot of attention on the line. So, you know, they've got uh, powerful guys on, on both sides of the ball this year. And, and Ivory Kelly Martin, obviously a guy that has some playoff experience. Where did he come from? Nazareth. So he's got two, two state championship uh, titles on his uh, resume there. All right. And who do they have next? They will uh, host Romeoville on Friday night. All right. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. All right, we're back. And Kyle, I guess Bishop Max, somebody I brought up a minute ago, where, what are they looking like this year and, and where are they at class-wise? Yeah, um, 3A is going to see a shakeup here. Uh, they went up to IC Catholic, you know, a team they beat twice last year. And we knew it's going to be a, a tough matchup going on the road. And IC Catholic is, is, is a very good team. But um, to lose 34-0 is really concerning for Mac. Um and the injuries really didn't go their way in that game. They they had their starting quarterback, their starting running back, and their starting wide receiver, uh, who you mentioned as Chris Bell, who's going to Western Michigan, lead the game with an injury. The Bell injury might be significant. Um, it looks like he either jammed his thumb or broke it. Uh, we don't have test results back on that yet, but he could be out for a while. And, you know, that that's big. This is a team that playing, a, a, you know, the Catholic competition that they do, uh, and even their non-conference schedule, they're going to go to uh, they're going to host Bolingbrook this week. Um, they could be they could be in danger of missing the playoffs a year after winning the state title because you're going to go to Bolingbrook in week or host Bolingbrook in week two, and then go to St. Lawrence in week three, who just beat Bennett. It was the only team that beat Mac last year. There's a real chance that they're going to be sitting home come uh, come come the postseason. And and to explain to me why your three A team is playing what Bolingbrook? What are they seven A? And they've got these all these Division one players. I know they they have a defensive end in Isaiah May. 
uh, that's going to Wisconsin. They've got Kendall Smith, who's going to Illinois. Why are they playing the 7A school? This is just um, a matter of how scheduling breaks now. When you you have these these open dates early in the year, and you're a small school, a small school power, and in an area where it's you know a lot of smaller schools, they don't they don't want to take that team on. You know what I mean? So you have to go up north and find it. And you know you could go pay a, a play a public league team, but that doesn't do much for you when you're going to go in and then play. You know. Uh, St. Rita and the likes of that. So y- you have to go and find some some hopefully good talent, but not great talent. They had a uh, was Seuss, Do you remember was it Plainfield South or Plainfield North on the schedule last year? Which uh, it you know, was Plainfield, it was Plainfield North. Yeah, yeah. North. It, you know, and and that contract was up, and Mac actually was able to pull out a win against them last year. But it's it's really tough for some of these smaller schools, you know, Catholic schools in particular. To, to find these uh, non-conference games. And, and if you're Bolingbrook, you like that game, though, because you're playing a smaller school that's going to get a lot of wins, you would you would think, at least. That's a lot of playoff points. That's kind of well, you goal, figure right? you, you figure Max at least good for four wins, right? Even with their tough schedule, they're going to get four. Uh, last year they got eight. You know, they, they had a great year. Um, this team isn't as good. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you know you have guaranteed points there, essentially. I was going by memory. Am I right that Bolingbroke's seven A? Uh, they're eight. They're eight. <laughs> yeah. I I was wrong, of course, but I I know that you know it obviously really well. Steve, tell us about three A and and who's relevant there. Well, three A. I mean, that game that we just got done talking about there kind of told us a lot. I think about how three A should be regarded. I think IC Catholic has has catapulted itself into the into the spotlight as possibly being the best team in that class. I mean, really good running back in Jordan Rowell, who's going to Northern. Um, they have some top talent. Uh, I watched I watched a very deep and talented MAC team beat them last year in the semifinals, and it wasn't close. Uh, but you could tell that that team was hungry um, to come back and, and kind of prove something against this team, against Bishop McNamara, and they certainly did so. Um, other teams have known in that conference. I mean, I think you got to start looking around a little bit farther to the south. But uh, one that I from our, another one from our area that I think is definitely worthy of note is Wilmington. A uh, year in and year out, a strong program that uh, that seems to just—it's almost like a factory assembly line. Year to year, they they just keep churning out hard-nosed kids that really know how to play defense, and they always seem to have a, you know a 15 15-yard. 15 a 1,500-yard rusher in the backfield. Um, they they dismantled a St. Joe Ogden team that was a semifinalist this last year. Uh, it's clear that St. Joe Ogden is not where they've been, but uh, but they're they're a very good team as well. But some interesting other small things that happened last year's other finalists in the 3A game also got beat badly last week in Tolono Unity. Decatur St. Teresa, who is a possibly might be a 1A team, beat them 27 to nothing. So. I mean, you have to look. I mean, you, you go even even further south. You got to look at teams like Monticello. Um, I don't know what the graduation situation was, and maybe you could speak to this, Joe. But I was pretty impressed with that Byron team last year. How much do they have coming back, and are, are they a legitimate threat? I'm, I'm sorry, Steve. I don't know a lot about them. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're a little far. They're in the big north. They're a little far the other west side and, of it yeah, now. I've seen them. And 
we don't even we don't even get those crossover games early in the year with them anymore. Now that the Kishwaukee River Conference, I guess they have a deal though, right, Joe? With- they, they do have some crossovers with the the old conference, yeah. So because uh, because the Kishwaukee River has an odd number, they needed somebody to match up with. So, Steve, now uh, an overall question. Um, since since we've gone through everything now, 8A through 3A, something that we face often in McHenry County is the fact that, you know, last year Huntley rolls through our area, wins all its games, beats Cary pretty soundly, and then get in the playoffs and you look at 8A compared to anything else and, and it just – it seemed way stronger. Is that your? Is is that true that it's just way better football in in eight A or or are we viewing it a little wrong? Or I mean, Huntley lost Oswego last year, and people want us to knock them down in our power rankings here amongst local teams. But you know that was a good Oswego team that they played against and, and lost, and and they it proved during the regular season, and then they did it again in week one this year that you know they're as good as anybody here. Well, when I look at it like as a general overview from like class to class, it's funny now because we've been clamoring for 1 to 32 for a long time to fix a lot of the problems with the quads and the brackets and all this other stuff. But I think whatever you end up doing with with bracketing and however you choose to do it, 8A ultimately what you're going to have is about 15 or 16 really good football teams. And sometimes what really happens in the bracket is for just the way the numbers fall, sometimes you have exceptionally strong little groups of four teams. And it's just the way the numbers fell. I mean, it's like you have four teams or eight teams where one bracket looks thicker than the other one. Um, it's just kind of the way – I mean, last year in 8A, I mean, I'm drawing a blank on a team that don't have it in front of me. Like, there was a 15-18 game and a 16-17 game that I was like, wow, that could easily be a quarterfinal. And maybe even a seven. I mean, that's that's the way. That's just kind of the way that the depth goes in eight A. It's just it's a really deep class, and sometimes you'll have one or two, three teams maybe that are a step above. But then that middle group from like four to like twenty, those are all really good football teams. And that's there's really no way to bracket it or no way to do it where you're not going to get some early round games where you have some excellent football teams locked up against one another. A question for you with with Phillips and and you talk about them being surprised in the first week o- over the past few years. Do you think that they could play in an in a six A seven A eight A? Are they get that good of a football team? Well, I think that like a lot of times when I look at it from that perspective, I think that there's a lot of years where I feel like the four A team, like a, an elite four A team, a Phillips or Rochester, someone of that likes, could go up to five A and be very competitive and probably win. I mean, that's the way I feel about it. Then you go up another rung, and that's partly due to the multiplier, but you go up another rung to six, we might be pushing our luck a little bit. Do we go any higher than that? I don't know, because then you're starting to talk about, like, guys that, like, you're playing programs that have, you know, that don't have as many two-way starters as the Phillips does, or has a lot more depth and just would eventually wear them down, I think. So it's, it's always a really interesting argument. But there are times, and I think last year's Phillips group would have been an interesting game for just about anybody you would have paired them off with. All right, guys, I think this went well. Any other 2A or 1A thoughts before we head out? 
no, not from our, not on our end. Uh, Seuss, you got anything? No, I mean that those classes are so hard to figure out until we get a few weeks under our belt, and we don't really have anybody that's worthy of chatting up from our area and that in those grounds. All right. Well, I think this went well. Uh, we'll be back with you guys next Monday with another with an Illinois high school football <laughs> podcast again next Monday. Go real generic on the name for people there. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.